from the wilderness of Kodiak Island, Alaska, this is Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier with your host, Robin Bearfield. In a land full of peril and vicious animals, humans are the most dangerous predators of all. At 2.45 a.m. on October 11, 1997, three friends in Fairbanks were heading home from a bar when they discovered the badly beaten body of 15-year-old John Hartman. Someone had kicked the boy's head so many times that he was unrecognizable. He died the following evening when his parents agreed to take him off life support. Welcome to Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Robin Bearfield, and I'm broadcasting to you from the heart of the Kodiak National Wildlife Refuge on Kodiak Island in Alaska. The night someone beat John Hartman and left him in the street was a wild Friday night in Fairbanks. Citizens of Alaska receive a permanent fund dividend check each year in October as part of the investments made from the state's oil revenues. On October 10, 1997, the state issued a permanent fund dividend check for $1,296 to each Alaska resident. For some, the extra money was an excuse for celebration and substance abuse. There was also a big wedding in Fairbanks that night, and the wedding spilled over into the loud after parties. The Fairbanks police stayed busy with callers reporting crimes or excess noise. Kevin Peace's mother called the police and begged them to take her 19-year-old son to lockup. She said he was drunk and he'd hit her. Peace, who had a juvenile rap sheet that included armed robbery, fled to a friend's house before the police arrived. A party at the Alaskan Motor Inn got so rowdy that the motel clerk called the police and told them one kid had pulled a gun on him. Most of the kids ran away before the police arrived, but the authorities did catch a very drunk 17-year-old Eugene Vent. The motel clerk briefly looked into the squad car and said Vent was the kid who'd had the gun. A jury acquitted Vent of the alleged assault in 1999. When the Fairbanks chief of police detectives overheard the news about Vent's arrest on the police radio, he suspected Vent had been involved in beating John Hartman. As it turned out, though, Hartman had been nowhere near the Alaskan Motor Inn that night. He was across town at Noah's Rainbow Inn. When police brought Vent in for questioning, his blood alcohol level was 0.158%, nearly twice the legal limit in Alaska. The detectives read him his rights and asked him if he'd like to speak to an attorney or have his mother present for questioning. He said no. When police asked him where he went that night, he said he was drunk and couldn't remember. The detectives then told him that a friend of his was injured and other witnesses were talking. 
Detective Aaron Ring showed Vent a photo of Hartman in the hospital and asked Vent why the police found his footprints in the blood at the crime scene. This statement was a lie. The police did not find Vent's footprints at the murder scene. But Vent believed the detective. The drunken teenager finally replied, I guess I was there. Detective Ring told Vent that the police also suspected some of his other classmates, including Kevin Pease. Vent told the police they were trying to fill his brain with things he didn't do, and they were starting to make him think he'd killed somebody. Vent's first interview lasted two hours. At 1 p.m., police interviewed him again. Ring showed him a photo of his high school basketball team and said, these guys are friends of yours. I've already talked to people, okay? They were involved in this. In his recorded interview, Vent can be heard slurring his words and repeatedly stating he didn't remember anything and he was drunk. The detective continually asked him leading questions and Vent finally caved after hours of aggressive interrogation. Later, he said he didn't remember where he had been or what he had done that previous night, and he was beginning to believe the police. Maybe he had been involved in beating John Hartman. With Detective Ring supplying him details of the crime, Vent confessed and implicated three of his friends. Years later, Detective Ring defended his technique of providing suspects with information about the crime and lying to suspects about specific evidence, as he did when he told Bent he'd left a bloody footprint at the crime scene. George Fries, complaining of foot pain, visited a Fairbanks emergency room on October 11th. Fries, 21, told the doctor he was drunk the previous night and must have kicked someone, but he didn't remember who he'd kicked or why he kicked them. A nurse who knew about Hartman's assault called investigators, and they took Fries in for questioning. Detectives confiscated Fries's boot and held it as evidence. Police told Fries that Bent was already cooperating with him and had named him as an accomplice in the beating death of John Hartman. Police vigorously interrogated Fries until he confessed. Next, police went after Marvin Roberts, the valedictorian of his class, and someone who seemed to have the perfect alibi. Roberts was dancing at a wedding reception when Hartman was attacked and had many alibi witnesses. Still, police knew that Roberts attended the party at the Alaska Motor Inn after the wedding reception ended, so they thought he must have committed the murder with Fries, Vent, and Peace. They believed the four young men were driving around town in Roberts' car when they saw Hartman walking down the street, and they stopped, robbed Hartman of $15, and beat him to death. When the police picked up Roberts, they lied to him and told him his car's tire tracks matched the skid marks left at the scene near where the assault occurred. They then played the recording of Bent's confession, which implicated Roberts in the brutal beating. Unlike Vent and Fries, though, Roberts did not cave. 
He repeatedly told the police that he was innocent and had not even been at the crime scene. Peace also refused to confess when police questioned him. At first, authorities thought they had collected abundant physical evidence. They believed Robert's vehicle was the getaway car, and they found a bloody shirt and a marijuana operation at Peace's residence. As it turned out, though, photos of the skid marks did not match Robert's vehicle, and the blood on Peace's shirt was his own. Fingerprints and fibers collected from the car were inconclusive, and they found no blood in the car. The bruises on Hartman's body could not be matched to specific footwear or sizes, so prosecutors made an unscientific photo transparency to compare Friese's boot to Hartman's bruises. Jurors were shown this overlay in court and must have felt confident that Friese's boot caused the bruises. Years later, the crime lab expert who had examined Hartman's bruises admitted the bruises did not have enough characteristics to determine whether this one boot had caused them or if they had even been caused by a boot. In the prosecution's case, the most critical witness was 20-year-old Arlo Olson, who claimed he saw Peace, Vent, Freeze, and Roberts rob another man on the night of Hartman's murder. Olson, who had been smoking pot and snorting cocaine the night of the robbery, claimed that even though it was night and he was 550 feet away from the action, he saw Peace, Vent, Freeze, and Roberts beating a man. He said he was 110% certain the men he saw robbing this man were the accused. Because of Olson's report to the police of four men beating another man earlier in the evening, Detective Ring thought he needed to arrest four young men for Hartman's assault. The defense countered Olson's testimony with an expert in the field of visual perception who said it would be impossible for even a sober individual to recognize a face in daylight from 550 feet, let alone at night. Still, jurors believed Olson, and one juror even said he was either the world's best liar or he saw what he saw. During the trial for Robertson Peace, Prosecutor Jeff O'Brien told jurors, simply put, if Arlo didn't see what he saw and you throw out some of the state's evidence, the state doesn't have a case, no doubt about it. An ear witness of the crime stated she heard John Hartman cry for help and testified that one of the attackers spoke with a native accent. The judge allowed the discriminatory testimony. Three of the defendants were Alaska Natives and one was Native American. I want to take a short break to thank the creative folks at the puzzle game app Best Fiends. Along with my patrons, Best Fiends provides me with the funds to research my stories and maintain and promote this podcast. I knew I could never put an ad in a podcast episode unless I really used and liked the product. One of the things I love about Best Fiends 
is that they feel the same way. They insist that you play their game if you are going to advertise it, and I respect their integrity. I tried Best Fiends to judge if it would be a good fit. I loved the game from the beginning, and two years later, I still love it. It gives me energy, improves my mood, and relaxes me. I don't know what your winter has been like, and I'm including anything after November 10th in my definition of winter. But ours has been brutal. We've had the coldest temperatures we've seen in years, and one wicked storm after the next has pummeled us. Right now, our forecast is heavy snow with hurricane-force winds. Our water froze three weeks ago, and we will not have running water again until spring. Yeah, you get it. I'm a little crazy. How do I relax? My best fiends don't care what the temperature is or how much the wind blows. They just want to help me solve the puzzle and move on to the next level. Best Fiends is a wonderful game I can play offline. It has bright, cheerful colors and funny insect characters. Even after two years, it is my go-to escape, and I highly recommend it. Whether you need to escape from the weather or the endless holiday gatherings, Best Fiends is wonderful therapy, and it has been tested in December in the wilderness of Kodiak Island, Alaska. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Fairbanks police detectives believed, and some still claim, they arrested the right suspects for the murder of John Hartman. Prosecutors vigorously pursued the case, and despite no physical evidence, very questionable eyewitness evidence, and clear alibis for some of the suspects, three juries in three separate trials found the four young men guilty of the murder of John Hartman. Vent and Freeze had separate trials, while Roberts and Pease were tried together. Vent, Pease, and Roberts all had alibis for the time when someone assaulted Hartman, and none were more convincing than those for Marvin Roberts. According to several people, including pregnant women who did not drink any alcohol that night, Roberts was dancing at a wedding reception at the time John Hartman was beaten. Prosecutor O'Brien dismissed these alibi statements by claiming this was a case of Alaska natives lying for each other. Apparently, the jury believed the racially charged reasoning offered by the prosecutor. Due to the racial slurs allowed in court, the Fairbanks Four, as the defendants came to be known, became a major civil rights cause for many in Alaska. Freeze received a sentence of 77 years, Vent was sent to jail for 38 years, and the judge sentenced Roberts and Pease to 33 years and 79 years, respectively. Over the years, the men made numerous appeals, but the Alaska Court of Appeals repeatedly upheld the convictions of the four. 
Years after Arlo Olson had provided crucial eyewitness testimony at the trial's event, Peace, Roberts, and Freeze, he claimed Detective Ring and Prosecutor O'Brien had coerced him into saying it was the four defendants he saw beating and robbing another man earlier in the evening before John Hartman's assault. Olson testified in the original trials that he'd stepped outside to smoke a cigarette and saw four young men beating another man. He was 550 feet away from the other men, but claimed he recognized them as the defendants. Several jurors said they found Olson's testimony critical in finding Pease, Vent, Freeze, and Roberts guilty of murdering John Hartman. Years later, Olson claimed that Ring asked him if he could identify the men committing the robbery, but he said he couldn't. He said the action was too far away and he was drunk. Detective Ring then convinced Olson that the men he saw beating the other man were Pease, Vent, Roberts, and Freeze. Ring said these same men had beaten John Hartman to death and were now in custody. Olson said Ring kept repeating to him what he wanted him to say he saw that night. When Ring seemed pleased with Olson's versions of events, he produced a recorder and taped Olson's statement. According to Olson, Ring and O'Brien created a transcript of the recording and began coaching Olson to make sure he could repeat his statement in court. They told Olson to read it over and over again and he said he eventually began to believe what he was reading. Ring and O'Brien told him that they had arrested the right people, and the men were guilty not only of the assault Olson had witnessed, but also of killing John Hartman. Olson said he tried to retract his testimony in 2000 when talking to a lawyer for Freeze, but a visit from Ring scared him into remaining silent. In 2015, Olson gave a deposition, claiming he'd lied when he said he saw the faces of the men who beat the other man the night Hartman was murdered. When cross-examined by Assistant Attorney General Adrian Bachman, Olson admitted he'd been in and out of jail over the years, and because of his original testimony, he'd been labeled a snitch in prison and had been threatened. Bachman suggested it was because of these threats Olson was now changing his testimony. In September 2013, the Fairbanks Four finally got a break. The Alaska Innocence Project took on their case and filed affidavits claiming a different group of high school boys from another high school in Fairbanks killed John Hartman. William Holmes, a convicted killer serving time in California, said he and his friends were cruising around looking for drunk natives to rob. Instead, they saw this white boy and decided to jump him. Holmes said he was the getaway driver, and it was his friend Jason Wallace who chased down and stomped John Hartman. According to Wallace, it was the other way around, and Holmes was the one who killed Hartman. In a second affidavit, another classmate of Wallace and Holmes, Scott Davison, said one day when he and Wallace were smoking marijuana, Wallace admitted he'd murdered Hartman. Wallace then told Davison he would kill him if he ever repeated this confession. In June 2015, Marvin Roberts was granted parole and released to a Fairbanks halfway house. 
In October 2015, a five-week evidentiary hearing for post-conviction relief for the Fairbanks Four began in front of Judge Paul Lyle. The defendant's attorneys were seeking either exoneration or a new trial for their clients. At the end of the hearing, the judge informed the defendants that it might take him six months to make his decision on the case. Soon after the hearing ended, the state offered Pease, Vent, Freeze, and Roberts a deal to overturn their convictions. State attorneys said they would instantly free the four men if they agreed not to sue the state for prosecutorial misconduct. Although the four defendants knew there was a good chance the judge would exonerate them, they also feared he would rule against them. Any ruling the judge made would leave them sitting in jail for six months, and this deal would free them instantly. So, they signed. Many legal experts have said that the deal made by prosecutors to force the defendants to sign away their rights to sue the state in exchange for their freedom was unethical and reprehensible. The men were so anxious to get out of jail that they would have agreed to sign anything to gain their freedom. If Peace, Vent, Freeze, and Roberts did not kill John Hartman, then who did? Attorneys for the Fairbanks Four provided affidavits and testimony during the hearing showing that another group of young men had assaulted and murdered Hartman. But a special prosecutor for the state disputed this evidence, and the state still claims that the Fairbanks Four were properly convicted. The Fairbanks Police Department has no plans to reopen the investigation into Hartman's murder unless new, solid evidence comes to light. As a sad footnote to this case, Arlo Olson, the witness who claimed his testimony was coerced by police and prosecutors, committed suicide in prison in June 2017. He had been in and out of jail all of his adult life and had struggled with mental illness, addiction, and behavioral issues. More than a half dozen attorneys represented the Fairbanks Four in their final hearing to prove their innocence. Kate Demarest, an associate with the Anchorage-based firm Dorsey & Whitney, was one of these attorneys. Less than two weeks after the state freed Pease, Vent, Freeze, and Roberts, Kate Demarest's husband Dave flew a small airplane into the downtown Anchorage office building where Kate's law firm is located, killing himself, totaling the plane, and damaging the building. The crash happened early in the morning, and no one in the building was hurt. According to his family, the cause of the crash was suicide. To help the attorney who worked without pay on their case, the Fairbanks Four held a fundraiser for Miss Demarest. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to my patrons for your support. Check out the show notes for more information on how you can support this podcast and unlock extra episodes by joining the Last Frontier Club. 
You can also search for this podcast on Patreon to learn more about The Last Frontier Club. Happy New Year to all of my listeners. I wish you health and happiness in 2022.